0: Oh, let try not to frown, don't let this world turn you around. You're not alone and when you cry, virtually I'll be by your side. Welcome to another episode of Alika Hope and Change. I am Alika Hope.
1: And I am her brother, still brilliant, handsome, and outspoken.
0: Change, also known as Easy. <laughs> and wait for it, wait for it, outspoken. I don't know where you're going with that today.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, mission accomplished because I got my sister to laugh and I love making my sister laugh. And part of the reason why I make my sister laugh is because some days she, as a mom, has days where her children are not humorous. They think they're funny. She, however, has to be capital M-O-M,
0: Capital M-O-M. But I would say most days they do something to make me laugh. But you're exactly right. Some days they, actually one of them, we won't say which one, does something that they think is funny that's not funny. And then I don't think it's funny. But it's okay because they are funny otherwise. And we love them. Anyway, and they sure do love their uncle, Emil, that's for sure. My
1: niece and nephew are the coolest kids on the block. And one of the reasons why I love them so much is because they're both like their mother, completely and unequivocally original.
0: They are very original, that is true. And they are the coolest kids on the block because they are the only kids on this block. Look, I
1: wasn't saying nothing about where they were or where they live or how how frequent the other children are in that neighborhood. Though they are scarce by any measure of the imagination. School comes in the Lakers neighborhood and they'll be asking, um, are you stopping? And the school bus driver's like, stop where? <laughs>
0: Hey, but it's a lovely neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in my neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor anyway so moving on um i had to get a song in there because y'all today we have a special guest with us and before i introduce him this gentleman and my brother are going to be have a very passionate discussion and so i wanted to sing because i'm not sure when i'll get a chance to sing again um so our audio engineer and producer and basically mastermind behind the scenes is mr jamie brennan mcdonald who is not only a genius like at the controls but he plays 17,000 instruments. I'm exaggerating, but it feels like that. And he sings spentifulously. And he's also a great husband to his beautiful, beautiful, beautiful wife, uh, Rachel. And he's just a great guy. However, he is a full-blooded, like my brother, geek. And I like you all to know that backstage, you know, behind the scenes, um, these two gentlemen are always talking about Star Wars and Star Trek, and then last week they got excited about some upcoming movie called Dune, and was, they just, they're just so passionate. And I'm over here like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Thank you, sis, I appreciate that. That was, that was actually a very mild version of your mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and I've tried, I have tried um to get excited about star wars and star trek and even my own children don't understand why i'm not a star wars fan i i I go to the movies because they love it so i take them for them and i go for the popcorn but um i do actually i don't think jamie and emil know this but i do actually like star trek I, i feel like star trek is closer to who i am which is more of like a you know i like things like Grey's anatomy like more real life stuff and i and i think star trek was always more realistic to me and So I'm learning from these two and tonight I asked them to, uh, kind of host together a discussion about Star Wars versus Star Trek. And what I called the episode was Star Wars versus Star Trek, which gives us more hope. And they didn't like that very much because they say that both of the, um, concepts are hopeful, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring Jamie on and, um, Jamie, are you there? Okay. So (laughs) hi, uh, Jamie and Emil, you know you, you guys both know all about the the Siths and Jedi's and captains and and all that stuff. And and why don't you guys um start? It would be great if you could tell us about Star Wars and Star Trek and, and like some of the concepts. And you know just have a conversation because you do it all the time. So take it away. Gentlemen. I'm
1: going to start because Jamie is the guest, and I wouldn't put him on the spot right away. And when I say guest, he's <laughs> he's always. He's always here, but he's never on air. Like he'll he'll say a few words. And what I love about Jamie when he's when he's injecting during our breaks and and off the air, is he brings this humor and this wit and this uh, clarity. You would think he's a sound engineer. Oh wait. And one of the reasons why that's important though, is because he sees the world. corny. I know, right? He sees the world musically, but he also sees it through the lens of someone who understands like electronics and he understands technology. So here's this very artistic, very eloquent individual who also is a straight up nerd. And we Mm -hmm. are crossing boundaries today and we're gonna cross the Star Trek, Star Wars boundary. Jamie is more about Star Wars than I am. I think I'm more about Star Trek than he is, but I'm going to let him tell his side of the story before we get too deep into it.
2: Ah. Oh, you are going to put me on the spot then.
1: Oh, my bad. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs)
2: So I guess I'll kind of go with a little bit of my own personal history. Um, So 1977 rolls around. I'm four years old, so you can figure that out. And my sisters were super excited for this movie event. And mind you, I was four. I was into, you know, watching the spinners and Soul Train and, and all these other <laughs> things. And I had already kind of discovered the night sky. Like, I was fascinated by the night sky. I'd go outside. My mom said I would just stare at the sky for hours. Um, I don't know why she had me out that late. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> So this movie comes out, they're like, Yeah, we got this this movie. Where did they see this movie? It's called Star Wars. And I was like, What is that? I was four. You know, I was I, I liked Robbie Benson. I liked these like these cute little movies. So we go to the movie theater and I'd seen an ad with Darth Vader and was terrified. You know, being four. Mm. This guy had a breathing issue with his mask, and it was terrifying as a four year old. So I didn't go and see it. I went to see this robbie benson movie instead and we came out of the movie theater my sisters were like oh my god that was so awesome in the spaceships i'm like spaceships <laughs> and they're like oh my god and then this guy had this laser sword and like they were super psyched and i was super jealous as the four year old so and the second part of the story is i don't remember this but apparently they took me to see it and i fell in love at that point i fell nice. in love with the idea of the force i fell in love with the space battles, I fell in love with this idea that there's something larger than all of us that mm-hmm. can give us hope and that can give us this idea that we're connected in a whole different way. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of where my journey started. And then I used to go home and pretend to be in the movie all the time, which used to drive them crazy. But <laughs> that over, overarching theme of connectedness and hope for some reason resonated with me.
1: And it stayed with me ever since, which is why I really love the series. You know, that's beautiful, actually, that at such a young age, you were able to connect. I was a little older when I first um, met with Star Trek. Um, I I was uh, eight, seven or eight years old. I was I didn't see the movie when it first came out in 1977. I saw it soon after. My cousin, uh, who was probably listening, Byron, he saw it before I did, and he told me all about it. So I, eventually, I was able to go see it, and I fell in love with Star Wars too. But it was Star Trek. Watching those on rerun runs, if you remember, Alika, Channel Twelve, KPTV, yes. Channel Twelve, Portland, Oregon, and yeah. um, I used to watch, and I had no idea what I was watching. I just knew Captain Kirk's bog bones. Uh, the whole crew, Scotty, Sulu, Chekhov, and of course, the beautiful and ever effervescent uh, Uhura. And one of the things that mm-hmm. I saw there that made me fall in love was that it was never like, I, I hate to say it, but it was never negative. It was, it wasn't weird. It, to me, it was just like. Oh, that's what you do in space. You have these grand adventures and you uh, meet aliens and you learn and you explore and you get in trouble and you have fights. And um, there are people who don't like you when you're exploring. And all of a sudden, I just kept watching. And I could have been nine or 10 years old as I watched those reruns. But at some point, it was the most awesome show I had ever seen.
0: And when we come right back, we want to hear more about the most awesome show you had ever seen. We'll be right back.
1: Interlude Music by Lawrence V. White.
0: All right, and we're back. Emil, what I want to know is. Is it still the most amazing show you've ever seen?
1: Ooh, see now you you put me on the spot, sis. Um, I'm, yes, I'm I have I'm able to tell you. Well, there've been so many iterations, right? So uh, I've I've watched all of the original series that started everything in 1966, 67. It was only on for a couple of seasons, um, but it's been in rerun ever since, right? For 50 years, it's been in reruns. It's amazing that that show resonates so much. Uh, and then the next series was called the next generation. And I mm-hmm. was at the air force Academy primarily when it was running. So I never watched it. So believe it or not, only a few years ago did I watch every single episode of the next generation, but I got all of them in and now I'm actually working on Voyager and I'm working through every episode of Voyager and, you know, I catch as catch can. I don't watch, you know, lots of them at one time, but you know, i watch, you know, several a week, uh, or I'll try to get some in some weeks more, some weeks less. What does that tell you, sis? What does it tell you that I'm working my way through every series of the show?
0: Um, it tells me that you're a little obsessed. And I, and I want to know, Jamie, do you work your way down through every episode of the show?
2: <laughs> um, you know, actually, and, and on this side, um, Star Wars, part of the more, more interesting thing is that both universes, of course, are very expansive um, in their, you know, fan fiction and their other storytelling and books and other intellectual property, as, as mm-hmm. they call it, um, where well, Star Wars has definitely caught up to Star Trek as far as how many side stories there are. There's a lot more series yeah. because the thing about Star Wars, and this is where again I'm going to tie it back to hope. Um, when I grew up, the only Star Wars we had were the movies. And we had to wait. Like the first one comes out in 1977. The next one came out in 1980. Um, The third one came out in 1983. In between that, there might have been a couple of books, several books, but you really had to wait to find out the progression of this space opera, of this story. So you had to find out what was happening. So there was much more anticipation where Star Trek, definitely. I remember I actually had a collection of, um, to shout out Star Trek, I had a collection of Star Trek books. At the same time, that this is all going on. I had like 15 or 16 books that my mom bought me. And there was definitely more happening. You know, by the time that the early 80s rolled around, Star Trek had already had, what, two or three movies. They had the television series. Um, It had more opportunity to spin off because it was already a serial show to begin with. Right. Versus Star Wars, which was very much spaced out. You know, there were only three movies over the span of 10 years, where Star Trek, in that same time frame, there's a lot more material to draw from. And especially in the late 80s, when you talk about The Mm -hmm. Next Generation, which was another serial, episodic um, TV, um, TV experience, where there was no Star Wars between 1983 and 1999. So...
0: Wait, wait, wait. There was no Star Wars between 1983 16 and 19. 16-year
2: drought. Let me tell yeah. you what that 16 did year drought. Except admir- for the comic books and the other books, there was it, no right. film or television to watch.
1: Wow. So it really,
2: wasn't. yeah, it really, you know, wet the appetite of the fan where well, we were, we were definitely very rabid for more and we weren't getting it because okay. George Lucas said, nah, I think I'm done. Even though he teased us and said he was making twelve movies, but anyway, or nine movies at that time.
1: At that time, it was nine uh, movies, and I remember eagerly anticipating because there was there were rumors, (laughs) and you know, when you're nine years old, ten years old, uh, rumors Mm -hmm. mean that some kid just said something, and the Mm -hmm. other kids heard it, and then it became a rumor that. Did right. you hear that George Lucas was going to make another movie? And mm. this is like 1984, yeah. 85. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were all like waiting. And then we heard it was a nine movie series. And then it was like, oh, this is because the very first movie he made, Star Wars, its subtitle is A New Hope. Yes. And it's in the very, even in the original version of the, of the movie, it says episode four. So yeah. immediately you're like, where's episode one, two, and three? Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. He dropped you in okay. the middle of the story. <laughs> and that, so he is, did that on yes, purpose he teased the mm-hmm. junk out of us because we're like, wait a second. If this is episode four and it's the first movie, where the other ones, boss. So we were so <laughs> eager for the prequels. Because right? we, mm-hmm. we wanted to know how did it all begin. So in mm-hmm. 1999, after a 16-year drought, The Phantom Menace comes out, and mm-hmm. we're just like, holy moly, this is amazing. Now, I'm going to go back in time because you have to remember that Star Wars and Star Trek are friends. They're like friendly rivals and the thing about star trek was it was the it was the future that we could kind of envision it was the thing right. that you could kind of see happening if mankind gets its act together if human beings figure out how to stop fighting with one another and and figure out how to how to get along we could do some pretty amazing mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. right that mm-hmm. mentality you know created by gene roddenberry embodied the kind of hope that a lot of people were feeling in the late 60s that they couldn't articulate. And Gene Roddenberry was able to write that down and turn it into a a series that captured a lot of that feeling, including people like George Lucas.
2: Yes. And to add to that, um, Emil, the fact that you had, you know, a multinational cast, you know, you had people of different races, alien races and human races (laughs) and, Um, all working on the ship together, working out their issues. You know, that was really kind of the the result of the civil rights movement of the 60s. Right. Was Gene Roddenberry's commentary on that. Um, So
1: if you watch the original series, you'll see these beautiful morality plays that reflect the era in which those stories were written. So a lot of civil rights, a lot of human rights, a lot of, uh, honestly, uh, very progressive uh, gender dynamics Right, mm-hmm. the very original mm-hmm. pilot episode of Star Trek, before mm-hmm. the crew that we know as Star Trek, uh, Captain Kirk, at all, uh, the the number two person was a woman. She was the uh, she was called number one, and uh, that mm-hmm. was her title, if you will. But she was the first officer of the of the Enterprise to what was then Captain Pike. So, again, this is in 1966. The gender di- dynamics being pre- presented wow. in full color. Uh, to America, at that time, were right. just incredibly progressive. So imagine how the imagination was being fired up, you know, and then this young film student named George Lucas is inspired by that. He has these grand stories of a space opera he wants to tell, and he's now he's pulling from not so much the the direct art and but the spirit of that which is one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why A New Hope, in my opinion, ties directly back to Star Trek, because they're both such hopeful in their own way, presentations of the struggle that uh, human beings have to be free, to be liberated, to be uh, 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 able to express themselves without worries about gender dynamics or racial dynamics, but rather they're just human beings trying to do something amazing. Uh, yes. I I really or, appreciate that.
2: Or just be free. Yes. <laughs> just be free to have a will about themselves and not be controlled by anything. You know, one of the themes of, of Star Wars is exactly that. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the Force and then you have the Sith, which you did the research on, <laughs> and who are very much about <laughs> about manipulating people for selfish gain, right? Um, for domination. And that's one of the other themes that really kind of goes throughout the star wars throughout actually throughout all nine movies now if, if you go back and watch all, all nine movies um
0: you know i just i can i just pipe in ahead. something you reminded me of um of a film that came out during that time um and as you were talking i did i ha- i thought of a song i had a vision of um Eveline from the yes. whiz where she's like don't nobody bring me no bad news anyway you know that whole thing and i was like that was exactly what was going on there right richard Pryor was like trying to conform people to what he wanted them to be yes. to get to get them to right. believe that he was something that he was not. And so it's interesting because that didn't that come out in like 80, right, it right, right after? around that
2: time. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. Late, late yeah. Exactly. I forget what year.
0: You're, you're, that was my favorite movie at the time. Mm. So I can relate in that way. But anyway, no, go ahead, you, keep going.
1: Sis, you're exactly, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head that these, these two properties they mm-hmm. tend to capture a spirit of the times better than a lot of things what people don't recognize them because they see them as science fiction or fantasy. And it's really right. something that is very interesting that you you see the parallels between a lot of pop culture that was not science fiction and that.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, and we'll be right back. Thank you. <laughs>
1: By Lawrence V. White.
0: So, Jamie, you've mentioned uh, that both of these, um, I guess I'm going to say empires. Both mm-hmm. of these films, shows, empires, um, are in response to something. Can you talk more about yes. that?
2: Whereas we talked before about Star Trek being in response to the civil rights movement, or at least commentary on the civil rights movement, as far as having humanity move forward. Beyond segregation, beyond racism. Star Wars is actually a direct response to the post-Vietnam era. Mm. And if you look at it this way, where the rebels, who are kind of the, you know, the ragtag group fighting the giant evil empire, the rebels actually represented Vietnam, and the Empire, featuring Darth Vader and all his cronies, um, represented the United States it was George Lucas's commentary on the Vietnam War. Oh, and wow. because the movie gives you hope, we had gone through a series of really dark movies, you know, um Taxi Driver came out, Apocalypse Now, right. Jaws, all these really and also all the disaster movies, Earthquake, Towering Inferno, you had all the monster movies coming out, um I think I saw a movie called Squirm or something like that about killer worms or whatever. Oh, yeah. and yeah, giant Airport ants. Seventy six. Airport seventy six. All these yeah, disaster yes. and doom and, and gloom. And, and had they two were th- huge yep. hits. And they were massive hits. <laughs> and between the Vietnam War and you had all these disaster movies, and you had two thousand one, a Space Odyssey, which is really mm. kind of trippy and a message to yeah. humans to not mess with things they don't know about. Um, you had all this doom and gloom, and so George Lucas wanted to write a fairy tale with those same themes. But giving people hope. And that's why okay. he wrote the initial screenplay in the early seventies was to respond to those things and be like, No, I'm gonna give something that makes kids, you know, feel like heroes and feel like the world can be good and you can believe in this force mm-hmm. and you can believe in that, that there's mm-hmm. people who are pure and who wanna do better and not just downtrodden. So that that was part of his reasoning behind it.
1: Isn't it interesting that, uh, you know, it took me several watches and I've watched Star Wars um, literally innumerable times. I don't know Mm -hmm. how many. Yeah. Uh, Same here. (laughs) One day someone actually said Have you ever noticed that? The Empire speaks with a more British accent, yes. and the uh, really? the rebels speak with American accents. Yes. And I had never paid <gasps> attention to it. I watched yes. it again, and I'm like, OMG! Mm-hmm. The the there's so many layers of allegory inside the inside yes. that movie, and those, especially the original three movies. Yes. there's so many layers of allegory. Uh, that you, when you watch them, you can begin to reveal these things, that these nuances that really help you contextualize the movie for the time. Yes, mm-hmm. it is a mm-hmm. beautiful and loud space opera, but there's also this very subtle commentary. If you look at Carrie Fisher, uh, who pl- who played Princess Leia, she played it mm-hmm. with spunk. She played it with yes. heart. Mm-hmm. She wasn't a damsel in distress. Why was that? Mm. What was going on in America in that time? that George Lucas saw the need, his personal desire to have such a spunky feminine hero in that, mm-hmm. it, when mm. that was just not what Hollywood did. Mm-hmm. Right. And those kinds of things. And if you go back and look at Barbarella, which preceded the movie and a bunch of other uh, little B movies that oh, didn't yeah. come out, I remember that, that didn't make a big splash, but were our today cultural touchstones, you begin to see yep. that there is this, this running commentary throughout these movies that is really beautifully captured. Um, I'm going to flip to Star Trek to yeah. do the same thing. Okay. Right. So, uh, the original Star Trek movie is called Star Trek, the original motion picture, came out, I think it was 1979. So, there was a drought for both Star Trek and Star Wars, each in their own way. But mm-hmm. that original movie abstract and esoteric and very heady. Uh, but the second movie star Trek two, the wrath of Khan was a direct sequel to a movie or a, a, an episode from the original series. What made that such beautiful commentary for the time was it was about 1980, early eighties, 1982, 83. And Khan was played by Ricardo Montalban and they never forced him to change oh. his Hispanic his his accent. He mm-hmm. was allowed to play the character with his beautiful natural accent, mm-hmm. and he did mm-hmm. such a wonderful job. So you start th- thinking through what does that mean? It means that you can have someone portrayed as a very complex villain who doesn't mm-hmm. have to conform to some uh, stereotype. He can be complex. Hmm. He can be different. And you think about all the things that were happening in the early 80s and how how lovely it is to have someone who can be the quote unquote villain, but who actually is a very complex, very layered character who, again, reflects the spirit of the times.
0: Mm -hmm. So, so, Jamie, I have a question for you, because it's something that I've always wanted to know what what is the deal with these conventions and the star Trek conventions and like having people sign. So I don't just, just what what is it? like?
2: And I'm going to give you the best answer I can. I really don't understand it. I really don't. I, again, I am drawn to these movies because of these themes we've talked about. I'm not drawn into this spectacle of going and meeting these people and going and getting an autograph. And, I wouldn't mind going, <laughs> right. but it's not my reason for like, if, if I knew I was never going to go to a star Wars convention and meet Mark Hamill, I think I'd be okay. If it happened, I'm <laughs> not going to argue with that, but right, right, right. I personally don't understand the full draw of it. I understand the okay. nostalgia of it and the connection to it because we, we love it. But at the same time, um,
0: eh.
2: <laughs> you, you I'm know, not quite I'm not it, that deep. Let's
1: put it, it that way. There's a what there's, about a, you, there's e? a cottage industry, um mm-hmm. I think the Star Trek conventions are probably much more rabid than the Star Wars mm-hmm. convention, and that should tell you something. Yeah. If you Actually may, may I interrupt for may Go I interrupt ahead. for a second? Go right ahead.
2: Not lately. <laughs> 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 they oh, have Star Wars now celebrations we're deep up until run. you know we've been all at home. But um yeah. they've been doing a Star Wars celebration every year. Um, and they're, it's ridiculous. It, it, they take over entire convention centers, and it is people it, with it lightsabers. Wow. It's crazy. It Both really fandoms is. are they, at that point. Wow. And, mm-hmm. and
1: I don't get into that either. I am a big fan of the shows. I watch them, and I enjoy them. But for me, right. um, they stand alone. I don't need to immerse myself any further into that, into that world than what I see on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some people... They love the fact that there's this illustration of hope. There's this mm-hmm. illustration right. of these principles that are timeless and incredible. Um, people want to be Jedi Knights. People want to be uh, um, in, they want to be in Starfleet. They want mm-hmm. some people want to be Sith. And they actually, those illustrations help them uh, sort of find a way to characterize themselves. So I understand well, where it the, comes from. I'm just yeah. not part of the. I'm not part of that. Um,
2: Me neither. Although I will say <laughs> I will say that I do want a Lando outfit at some point. Lando Calrissian. Oh, dude, yeah. the, Billy, the Billy, Billy D. Williams.
0: So, <laughs> but, but I, I have to just really ask you um, something interesting, Jamie. That right. I I'm um, just really curious about. Um, what do you call it when only one Star Wars character gives you a round of applause? I don't know. A hand solo. Oh, oh, she. she
2: and my best Harrison Ford impression. That's not
0: funny. <laughs> <laughs> wait, but no. Oh, oh, wait. I. I. Okay. 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 Try, so, so try it. I got one for you though. Email. Yeah. Here we go. Um, you know, email my friend. Um, d- d- my friend said that he had a breakup with his girlfriend because she doesn't like Star Trek. Oh, for heaven's um, No,
1: say it isn't so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He told her that he needed some space.
1: Uh I I wish <laughs> I could aim phasers right now. I wish I could Wait. aim phasers. <laughs> I said them to stun, but I wi- I just wish.
0: I got one more. This Go is ahead. for both of you, okay? Why is Yoda such a good gardener? I don't know. Because he has a green thumb. <laughs> oh my god.
1: Set phasers to stun.
0: And we would like to end this episode <laughs> Star Wars, Star Trek, which gives us more hope. I think they both give us more hope, according to our wonderful guest, Jamie Brennan McDonald. And of course, my wonderful brother, Emil Bryant. And I'm Alika Hope. And we want to thank you all for joining us on this episode today.
1: Thank you. It was and it's a pleasure. Change is out. Oh, wait. Emil is out.
0: Do you want to say bye, Jamie?